So my name is Dan, and in our summer series, we are continuing the theme, I Heart Vancouver Art. Let's say a quick prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this beautiful day. Thank you for all these people here and online. We ask for your Holy Spirit and your presence. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, can we get the next slide, please? If you walk down on Alberni Street, we see a huge boulder mountain on glass. The artist, Henry Hackison, took the 6,000-pound granite boulder near a quarry near Squamish, cut it into four equal sections, then sandwiched it between panes of three-quarters inch of tempered glass. I remember one day being in a museum, and I asked a friend, are you a slow art walker or a fast art walker? As we encounter art pieces, we might sit and stay a while. Or some of you might look at something and say, hey, that's cool. Snap a photo, put it on your Instagram story, and move on quickly. Art is a personal thing where we all have our different interpretations of what we see. For museums in particular, and we're blessed with many in our city, one of the things that I like to do now because of my partner is to take art tours and museums to learn about the pieces. I know this might influence me towards a perspective, but having a tour and a guide explaining something helps provide some context to what we see. In this piece, Henry Hackeson explains, end quote, the rock and reflection floats as if mirroring the moving planet an expression of the measure of time, weight, and value, contrasting with the surroundings and the sky to create its own unique ecology. That's a pretty amazing thing. So when you're here and you look at it, I think all of us have different interpretations of how we see this. But for us, one of our personal tour guides we have access to is the Bible. When I use the Bible as a tour guide, a couple of verses come to mind when looking at this particular piece. In Ephesians 2, 20 to 22, um, there's a conversation about foundations. Inside here, it says, As God's household, you are built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets of Christ. Pro uh, prophets with Christ, Jesus himself as a cornerstone. The whole building is joined together in him, and it grows up into a temple that is dedicated to the Lord. Christ is building you into a place where God lives through the Spirit. I think out there in society, um, we tend to look up to people that we admire, but there is an inherent danger and disappointment when we make humans the basis of our foundation. Um, anybody here biking fans out there? Likes biking? You? Okay. Um, you might remember Lance Armstrong? celebrated professional cyclist who won the Tour de France several times. It was only later evidence emerged that he was doping using performance-enhancing drugs. Bill Cosby, a beloved comedian where I watched him on television as a kid, and his reputation is now tarnished while he's now sentenced to prison. And the last example, Carlos Alcaraz, one of my new favorite tennis players. Wait, his reputation is pretty clean right now, so I got one good guy in my portfolio. Humans do great things, but the nature of being human is we make mistakes. So when you think about foundations, and when you place it on the perfect foundation of Jesus Christ, it influences all the decisions you make. In the olden days, 
the cornerstone was used in masonry foundations as a reference point to all other stones to determine the position of the structure. So we take a look at that um, photo. In one view of this, we can think about the rock representing the cornerstone of Jesus Christ. However, if you take a look at the sculpture further, it is really interesting that the rock is split into different sections. From my quick Googling, building rocks requires some specialized and techniques and, and machinery, meaning if you get a big rock, it's actually pretty difficult to split into four. If we took a look at the Bible verse in Matthew 27, 51, it says, Look, the curtain of the sanctuary was torn, uh, was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised. When Jesus died, these rocks literally split in a similar uh, manner of the sculpture. So you could say this sculpture also represents Jesus' sacrifice to resolve the sin dilemma. However, the last thing I actually really think about when I see this, um, this uh, art sculpture is I think of literal boulders. The one that you might walk over when you're hiking in the beautiful terrain we have in our backyard. Looking at this sculpture also reminded me of a very difficult stretch of the West Coast Trail where we would have to walk over boulders for about two hours. In one particular section, um, when there's a two hour section of boulders and I was just like, why do these rocks and why are there so many boulders that so we're walking over this for about two hours? Um, I like to give a little bit of context um, with the map on the next slide. So the West Coast Trail um, is in our backyard here and it's located in the west side of Vancouver Island. It's about a five to six day-ish hike and the hike clocks out to be maybe around, it's actually 80 to 90 kilometers when you're done with it. This trail is categorized as difficult, meaning be prepared and don't wing it. In uh, 2021, Ryan, first name was just up here, uh, and I entered a lotto to register for the hike. That's right, this hike is so popular, you have to enter a lotto and you don't win any money. All you do is you you win the privilege to hike in pain for multiple days. As with all extreme activities, it's probably best to train for things. So I did multiple hikes in the mountains with friends, did some ankle strengthening training with my physiotherapist, and I learned to dehydrate my own food as you have to carry everything in your backpack for five days. Now, two years have passed, and this is actually, I'm looking, the exact two-year anniversary of the hike. And I can say it was an enjoyable hike given all the bad physical memories have passed. But the following are a couple things that you see in the hike. The first, um, when we got dropped off, we took a ferry across over the river and we saw a two-story ladder within the first 10 seconds of the hike. And that was pretty much um, a good view of what we were gonna experience. And there were about 70 of these ladders throughout the hike. Uh, we walked through many muddy swamps on uh, next slide and um, broken planks. So because the trails in the coastal area, everything's kind of eroded. So logs are kind of in a questionable state. Next slide. Um, this is our halfway point. Uh, if you look at my photo, that's probably the most mustache I will ever grow. And for Ryan, it's probably the least he will grow. I guess that's his point. 
um, yeah, so the halfway point was pretty cool. So we get to, to eat a little bit on there. Even though I may paint this as painful, but maybe not for Ryan, because he was generally fine the entire time, not jealous. Uh, and maybe you ask, like, why, why, why would anybody ever do this, right? Flip sides are the truly, truly beautiful things in God's nature you would never see otherwise. So along the coastal trail, um, you're walking along the beach for many hours and there's just nobody there. And just things that I have, like, never thought I would ever see. Next slide. Also, um, in Tofino, storm watching is a thing, but also along this coast, logs are thrown all along the beach. And this is about 60 to 70 meters long to give a little bit of perspective on there. And this is just thrown by nature. It just happened to be there in, in the morning. But oddly enough, one of the most memorable things happened after the hike. So one wrinkle about the West Coast Trail is the complicated logistics. The hike is what we call a through hike because you start in one location and you end up at another. You don't return at the same point that you, you come at. One of the problems is we ended the hike in Banfield and we need to get home somehow. We ultimately want to get to Nanaimo so we can take a ferry back to Vancouver. What ended up helping us quite a bit in planning the hike was a private Facebook group, West Coast Trail, Beautiful British Columbia. So in this uh, private Facebook group, a lot of people share their tips for newcomers and um, people who've done the hike uh, share their tips too. Newbies can ask questions. And one of the members offered a service to drive us from Banfield to Nanaimo so we could take the ferry home from Vancouver. After five days, this is the end of the hike. Um, as we finished the hike, it was oddly anticlimactic because nobody was there. We actually couldn't even find the exit. We were just there and we just dropped our slip and the trip was over. Our ride came, uh, Shelly, just like, I just changed the name here for some privacy. So Shelly came and she picked us up with her car. She and her husband had done the trail several times. So we immediately reflected upon the trail, solving war stories with each other and our experiences. The drive was about three and a half hours. So we had a lot of time to chat and get to know each other. About halfway through the hike, she asked something that we all ask our friends. So what do you guys do? I said, I'm in the tech industry during data engineering, a subspecialty of software. She wasn't that interested in that. Um, and Ryan replied that he's pursuing a PhD in theology. After Ryan said this, there was a slight pause as she was thinking. She was pretty genuinely interested in what Ryan was studying and we began talking about religion. See, there was a traumatic event in Shelley's life that her dad had recently passed away and mentioned before he passed away, he had seemed to renounce God. Shelley asked some pointed questions to us and what we thought about the situation. We shared a little bit about what Adventists believe about the state of the dead. And most importantly, we share that God is a loving God looking at all situations. We can tell inside that she was hurting and she was looking for answers. So at the end of the ride, Shelly had some more questions and asked for Ryan's contact info. I think you can build your life on the foundation of God's cornerstone in many ways. Some ways are studying the Bible, going to church, singing, praying, and reflecting his love towards those who we reach out in the world. However, with this foundation comes a gift 
power and responsibility. If you have committed yourself to build your foundation on God's cornerstone, there's going to be a conversation you will have who has questions about God. They may be going through a tough time, perhaps a burden on their heart. When this conversation happens, I ask you, how would you talk about God? A couple months back, a friend from California came to visit Vancouver with his friend. Um, at this dinner, there were four people, my partner, my friend, uh, my friend Quan, and his friend Lam, and myself, so four people. I knew Quan back in high school. He was one grade younger than me, and I saw him mostly when I hung out with his sister. I haven't seen him in about five years, so I asked the awkward question, catch me up in the past five years. As he talked, he shared about many adventures he had. After graduating from the same school I went to university at, he joined the army and then went to law school. He got into an ultra-prestigious program in the U.S. Army, um, being Judge Advocate General JAG, which is also what the TV show was based on, as a lawyer in the U.S. Army where he would make sure U.S. interests were legally being met in times of war and peace. My friend Quan shared stories about his time in Afghanistan and traveling the world. But I noticed kind of an odd dynamic during dinner that his friend Lam also was able to tell Quan's stories with the same passion. So Lam, not even my friend, shared a story about Quan's love interest gone wrong in Europe. Quan was in Europe um, during a, a, a U.S. tour, and he was under the Eiffel Tower, and he met a girl drawing. They hit it off. They toured all Paris for the day, checking out the Louvre, the river, all the romantic sites. At the end of the day, as they're leaning against each other, she leans in, presumably for a kiss, and he leans in, gives her a handshake, and says goodbye. <laughs> if anything, that was like a really awkward encounter there. During the dinner, I felt a little bit bad because the whole dinner was about Quan and his great adventures, and any time we tried to veer the conversation about Lam, it was just whip back to Quan. It was almost like Quan and his sidekick Lam. That conversation really had me thinking about how lovingly Lamb spoke about his friend and his adventures. When you talk about Jesus, do you paint the picture of him from a place of fear or judgment or joy and love? If you were Jesus' sidekick, do you know all of the great stories and miracles that Jesus performed? And would you want to share it with others? You will have a conversation with God, with somebody, at some point. This conversation is going to be awkward and even challenging to your foundations when really tough questions come up. Some of these questions may require you to clarify and see deeper theological questions with God, perhaps that you're uncomfortable with. But remember, you have this gift to bring God's love and hope to those you encounter. You will be surprised. These conversations will come at the most unexpected times. We had no idea that one of the most memorable conversations of the West Coast Trail actually never happened at the trail, but happened afterwards. These conversations are often seeds, and it's not up to us to see the whole thing through. God puts us at the right place at the right time to talk to people, and the Holy Spirit would take over once our role is finished. If we take a look at the picture of the rock one more time, uh, if we can change this light to the, the rock. 
while the tech is doing that. Looking at the rock further, uh, in the literal sense, you will see it split. And what I think about is the multiple identities I have had in life. When I was younger, and especially after I graduated from university, I had my social life separate into distinct groups. I don't know if it's the same for you guys. I had my church friends here, my friends from high school here, my friends from university, my LGBTQ friends, my friends from work. I was always hanging out with each group separately and never mingled the groups together. With the separate identities came more stresses in my life as everyone only saw a certain part of me. Have you ever thrown a gathering and went through your invitation list? You might be making the list and say, oh yeah, I can invite Rob and Nguyen, but not Christine because she doesn't get along with Nguyen. And maybe not Ben because he talks too much about work. Tired of this situation, I decided to hold an experiment. One day, I threw a dinner party, but invited people from each one of these groups. I was really afraid that my friends from different groups would not get along with each other. Or my work friends might bore each other to death about work and programming. My church friends might be too churchy for my other friends. Like the evil person in the experiment, after serving food, I stepped back to a corner just to observe how the interactions were going. I was kind of shocked that the night actually panned out perfectly. I realized I had not given my friends enough credit to accept being around more diverse crowds. Even to the point, some people branched off and became friends with each other and stopped being friends with me. Not that I'm bitter about some of this. As the months progressed and I held these dinner parties, I also felt my identity solidify more. One, or I'm Christian, I work in tech, I went to a university with a weird mascot with an anteater. One of the things I also felt more comfortable is something that we all struggle with. How do we say prayer before a meal? With church friends, it's not a big deal. But people who are not from church, it could be a little bit awkward. Are you the person when you eat dinner and there's a lull in the conversation, you hide to the side and you pray by yourself and you say, Dear God bless this sweet amen while they were just like sneezing? Or perhaps you pause the table and say, guys, do you mind if we pray? And afterwards you think, did I offend anybody in this conversation? One slight advantage to throwing your own dinner party is you can run the rules your own way. So when I was a host, I always made it a point to pray uh, for grace before the meal, no matter the makeup of the crowd. As we sat down together, talked about life and what I cooked, how it came from some heirloom farmer I've known for years. Fun fact, I sometimes buy farmers gifts. I know, I know that sounds kind of weird, but um, most importantly, as my social networks mingled with food, my church friends were able to reflect a part of Christ as we were eating. And during these conversations, questions would arise like, so you don't eat pork and shellfish. Are you Jewish? So one dinner party really stands out to me. I had one of these mixed parties where I had a friend, Dave, ask me some questions about God. I also had a pastor friend who happened to be there. So when we joined the conversation, we answered some basic questions about Adventism, like, why do you go to church on Saturday? A couple of weeks later, I get a text from Dave's roommate asking, do you know where Dave is? Because he never came home last night. It's pretty atypical of him for not to come home. So Craig called all the hospitals in Los Angeles as Craig was Dave's roommate. What happened is Craig eventually found Dave in the ER, unconscious, unexpectedly. The night before, 
Dave had gone on a late-night run and had a heart attack, despite being in good physical condition. At the moment of his heart attack, um, somebody had seen him uh, fall over, gave him CPR, and called 911. At that moment, he was rushed over to UCLA Medical Center. Shockingly, UCLA had one of the few programs in North America where they put him in therapeutic hyperthermia which they're able to dramatically lower the temperature of his body to prevent damage from the heart attack. A couple weeks later, he got discharged, and I visited him from his house. And unprompted, he just messaged me, this was God's miracle, that somebody just happened to see him fall, and knew CPR, and call 911, and UCLA had this program to deal with a severe heart attack situation. As I sat there listening, he asked me some surprising questions. One of his first questions was about the Garden of Eden, the nature of God, and what the plan of salvation was. Let's just say that was an unexpectedly intense visit. After the incident, I moved to Vancouver, and I hadn't heard from him for quite a while. He recently came up, and as I talked to him, he said he found a church he considered home. Unbeknownst to me, when I moved away from California, he still kept in contact with some of my church friends who helped answer spiritual questions and gave him some directions. If we took a look back at Ephesians 2, 20 to 22, it says, As God's household, you are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus as a cornerstone. The whole building is joined together in him, and it grows into a temple that is dedicated to the Lord. Christ is building you into a place where God lives the Spirit. And here it mentions the whole building is joined in him. It's not just the first row and the second row of the pews here. Um, it's the entire church and everyone watching online. Remember, as you go through and you share your stories and burdens, don't forget that even though God is your cornerstone, you are not alone. And you have your friends and family to help amplify his love and hope. The thing is, in order for someone to ask you a question about God, there's a small wrinkle they need to know you're a Christian. My advice at the end of the day is don't put so much pressure on yourself and just simply let God's love reflect out. Trust me, people will pick up the small things on the habits and how you act towards others. Also, don't worry about someone else's entire spiritual journey. God will put you in the God will put the right person at the right time at the right pieces of their journey. You may be just a part of it and trust God that things will work out. And the best news to this day is that from his heart attack, Dave is fully recovered. What a miracle. As Pastor Rhoda has recently um, talked about in the sermon series, this is how it ends. There's a lot of buzz around ChatGPT. For his students here, I'm sure you're familiar with this screen. Um, being in the computer science field, a lot of us had about a one month heads up on everybody else. At my work, all our software engineers use it daily with coding and problem solving, and I can probably estimate everyone has a 30% increase in productivity for generating code and solving problems. I recently listened to a podcast called Hard Fork with, um, they have New York Times journalists. They have a short Q&A questions called Hard Questions to answer listener questions, and one, uh, one, one audience listener asked, I wonder what you think about the ethical and theological implications of using LLMs, ChatGPT, to generate prayers. 
Is it appropriate to use a machine to communicate with a higher power? Does it diminish the value or sincerity of prayer? What are the potential benefits and risks of using ChatGPT for spiritual purposes? Kate, what do you think? Kind of an interesting question, right? We're kind of in this new era that we're navigating this. The answer from the host was definitely not what I expected. One of the hosts mentioned that she is not a religious person, but that she, she did grow up in the church, and she mentioned when she tried to pray, she didn't necessarily know what to say. The host concluded that ChatGPT could be used as a thought partner to guide someone through thoughts and ideas. As we know at the moment, ChatGPT is trained on a lot of publicly available data, such as Reddit, Twitter, the internet, and all the books. It can do amazing things, as I'm sure some of you have done, like write email messages, um, generate programming code, and maybe help uh, certain someone uh, with their Sabbath school lessons once or twice for inspirational guidance. Oddly enough, ChatGPT probably knows more about the Bible on a factual level than any of us. I actually encourage the use of it just for research things and spiritual things that I found it useful. However, I asked ChatGPT a question. How are you trained? Uh, might be a little bit hard here, so I'll read the last paragraph. It says, It's important to note, while I can generate information based on a wide range of topics, my responses are based on patterns and structures learned during training, not on personal experiences or opinions, as I do not have consciousness, beliefs, or desires. But where you are different and more special than ChatGPT is you have the ability to make Jesus the cornerstone of your life. Each one of you has life testimony and experiences that you can share about Jesus. I guarantee that at some point in time, someone will ask you about God. Are you willing to share and set those seeds for others through your personal testimony? Uh, can we go to the last rock? On your next visit to downtown to Robson Street, take a slight detour to see sculpture of rock divided. Ponder Jesus' sacrifice and God as the cornerstone of your life. As you meditate upon this sculpture, we would love to get interpretation and you can tag us at, at OEC Vancouver. When God is your cornerstone, you can just help by letting God's love out. It might be just the minor things of saying prayer and letting your identity known. Are you ready to have this conversation with others? Thank you.